Uh, don't you wish you had a trunk monkey? Or uh, maybe for some of you, if you uh, wish you had a monkey like that at school for somebody that, uh, or uh, maybe there's somebody at work, or uh, I don't know where you need your trunk monkey, but uh, so how, how do you deal with people that are difficult to live with? People that are, are tough to get along with. Uh, how, how do you deal with people that you don't even like very much? Um, maybe for you, it's uh, somebody at school that belittles you. Or maybe at work there is somebody that bullies you. Maybe there's a, an old uh, business partner that has threatened a lawsuit against you. Or how about that guy that drove his car right into yours and he doesn't have any insurance? Or maybe you've got some neighbors that are rude or they throw loud parties. Uh, how do you treat your enemies? Well, in Jesus' message on the Sermon on the Mount, He challenges us to deal with our enemies differently than the rest of the world would normally respond. In fact, Jesus challenges us to deal with our enemies differently than even our own instincts would normally respond. Do you see a pattern here over the course of these last several weeks as we keep looking at what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount? He keeps challenging us, His followers, to live a life that looks different from those who don't follow Jesus. I mean, He, he keeps raising the bar, doesn't He? He, he keeps challenging us that if we're going to really be covered in His dust, if our lives are going to look exactly like He wants them to look like, then our lives are going to look different from people who don't follow Jesus. So let me just say this morning, maybe we really need to stop and look closely at our own lives. Because if my life doesn't look any different than other people in the world, maybe I'm not really following Jesus. Something to think about, isn't it? I mean, that gets right to the core of it, doesn't it? If I'm really following Jesus, if I'm really doing what He teaches His followers they're supposed to do here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then my life is its going to look different. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm not there yet. And this is not about being perfect. I, I, I mess up. But I ought to be able to say that increasingly my life is looking more and more like Jesus. So let's dive in and look at some more of what Jesus says. We, I hope you brought your Bibles again. We are in Matthew uh, chapter 5. If you're like me, I've been keeping it marked with my uh, net because uh, somewhere along the way, maybe it's already happened for you, God has... Uh, Reminded you there are some things that as a follower you need to, to leave behind, some stuff you need to get rid of in your life, and maybe you've already dropped your net, or maybe today the Holy Spirit's going to show up right at your seat in a few minutes and say, this is a net you need to drop. Well, Jesus goes on a teaching here in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be at verse 43. And, uh, you know, His followers are right there listening as He's telling them what it looks like to follow Him, and there's a crowd of people who are kind of listening in, and we get to listen in today too. Matthew 5, verse 43, it says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, it's interesting that Jesus repeats that because if you go back and read in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that's in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law there actually says, God said, I want you to love your enemies. It doesn't say, or love your neighbor. It doesn't say anything about hate your enemies. You see, over time in tradition, in the Jewish faith, 
They had gone from God's command to love your neighbors, thinking that if God wants us to love our neighbors, and they took neighbors to mean other Jewish people, if God wants us to love our neighbors, then it must be okay for us to hate our enemies. And so they had sort of tacked that on. So Jesus says, well, your religious leaders, in essence, that's what he said, your religious leaders keep going around telling you to, to love your enemies and hate your neighbors. Then Jesus says this, but I tell you, and I don't know about you, but maybe I wonder if Jesus' listeners on this day were starting to grow tired of all of the big buts that Jesus puts in here. No, because repeatedly as he teaches along here, he'll say, well, this is the way you've been doing it, but I tell you. And here's another one of these big ones. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone, or I'm sorry, I moved to the wrong place. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Or not even the tax collectors, which would be like the worst of sinners doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus begins by saying, I want you to do something really different. I want you to love your enemies. Now, he makes this even more clear to us. In some verses, he teaches something very similar in Luke chapter 6. And he makes this even more clear what he means to us when he says to us, I want you to love your enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I mean, Jesus nails it, doesn't He? We are really good at loving people who love us. And we are really good at showing kindness to people who are kind to us. We love beautiful people and we love fun people and we love popular people. But Jesus says, for my followers, it goes a lot deeper than that. For my followers, I want you not only to love those who love you, but I want you to love your enemies. You remember uh, just four years ago this month, a Pennsylvania man broke into an Amish schoolhouse, killed several children, and I, if I remember the story right, I think he turned the gun on himself. That was an amazing story. It attracted the attention of all Americans. Our hearts were broken. But the most captivating part of the story happened the next day when several of those Amish families went to the home of the family of the man who had murdered their children and offered their love and forgiveness. And people in our culture thought that they just could not, they couldn't comprehend that kind of forgiveness and love. It was absolutely crazy to them, wasn't it? But Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. 
Here's the question. Who are your enemies? Maybe a different way to ask that question is, who are the people you avoid? Or who are the people that avoid you? Who are the people that you think are below you? Who are the people that you fear? Does that bring to mind some people? Jesus says those people that you've got in your mind right now, that you are to do good to them. He says you are to to love them, to reach out to them. Now the word that He uses here for love your enemies is a picture of showing undeserved or unmerited kindness. A free gift of kindness, whether they deserve it or not. And Jesus says that's how you're supposed to treat your enemies. Whether they deserve it or not, you're to show kindness to them. You're to demonstrate love to them. Even people that sometimes drive us crazy. When Wade Boggs, many years ago, was playing uh, third base for the Boston Red Sox, he used to hate to go to Yankee Stadium. Not because he hated playing the Yankees as much as the fact that there was some guy that had a reserve seat right along the baseline who every time Wade would come out of the dugout would begin relentlessly hollering obscenities at him the whole time he was out there. Now, Wade Boggs, according to the story that I had read, had just become a Christ follower. And so he kept contemplating when he was getting ready to go to Yankee Stadium, how does somebody who's following God, how am I supposed to, to treat this guy? So one game, as he came out of the dugout and began to warm up, this guy went into his tirade, started shouting some obscenities at him. Wade Boggs stopped warming up, went over to the stands and said, are you the guy that's always hollering at me? And the guy said, I am. What are you going to do about it? And Wade Boggs pulled out of his pocket a baseball, signed his name to it, and handed it to the guy. You know what? That guy became his biggest fan in Yankee Stadium, and the obscenities and the screaming stopped. Wade Boggs decided he was going to treat his enemy with kindness. Jesus says to us, if you're really a follower of mine, you'll love your enemies. Frederick Buechner said this, then there is the love for the enemy. Love for one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. Now here's what I know to be true for me. On my own, I am not capable of responding like this. I I can't do it by myself. This kind of response to someone requires me to rely on the power of Jesus. I can only do this through God. But here's the great thing. God wants to help me to love my enemies. But before He is willing to help me, I have to want it. It starts with me desiring in my heart that I want to treat people the way He describes here. And once I have that desire in my heart and I am seeking His help, I believe God comes alongside us and gives us the ability and the power to respond to people the way He teaches here in Matthew chapter 5. Now, Jesus starts with the most difficult part of this when He says for us to love our enemies. And then He goes on to give us 
some steps or some insights that help us move down the path toward loving our enemies. He says in verse, uh, the next part of the verse there, he says, not only do I want you to love your enemies, but I want to tell you that I pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the people who make your life difficult. Now, why, why does Jesus say to pray for them? I mean, why start there? Because I think Jesus understood that when you are praying for someone regularly, it's hard to keep on disliking them. When you pray for someone, and I mean really pray for them, not just mention them once or twice, but when you really pray for someone, when you regularly pray for someone, you know what happens? It becomes almost impossible to keep on hating them. Something begins to happen in your heart as you practice loving them. Bonhoeffer wrote this, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy. I think this is a great picture. We go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. That's what we do in prayer. We go and we stand beside our enemy and we plead to God for them. And something happens in our heart. Corey Tinboom, who was a Christ follower, was held in a, a, a concentration camp by the Nazi Germans during World War II. And upon her release, she began to speak widely and to teach about Jesus and about His forgiveness. She said that one of her great fears was that one day she would come face to face with one of her guards and she would have to determine whether or not she could forgive them. Well, one day she was speaking to a large gathering and as she finished up what she was saying, she found herself standing face to face with the meanest guard she had ever had in camp. He complimented her on her talk and said, I, I wonder if you could find it in your heart to forgive me. And he stuck out his hand. Corey Tinboom says, I was paralyzed. I could not respond to him. And so I prayed silently, God, would you help me to be able to forgive him? She said she prayed it the first time and nothing seemed to really happen. And so she quickly again prayed, God, would you help me to be able to forgive? And she suddenly felt the ability to stick out her hand. And as she grabbed his hand, it was, she said it was almost like something went from her body into his. And she felt this incredible love for this man who had been so abusive to him, to her. Because she prayed for him. And because her heart was open to letting God change him. So Jesus says, pray for people who are difficult. Pray for people that you struggle with at school. Pray that that guy at work, that his job prospers. Pray that they have healthy marriages. Pray that through your life, they would see the love of God in action. Pray for them. That's the first step toward loving our enemies. Then notice what Jesus says in verse 45. He says, uh, Praise for those who may persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Next, Jesus says, you need to remember to honor the family name. Honor the family name. You are one of God's children. Since our boys were fairly young, we have taught them that where Whatever they do, wherever they go, what they do, their actions not only are a reflection on them and on God, but their actions are also a reflection on our family. 
And so we have said to them, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, remember, you are representing our family. And if they go and do something stupid somewhere, not only is it going to affect what people think of them, it affects what people think of our family. You know what? All of us represent God. In fact, for many people, all they will ever know about God and think about God is what they know and think about us. Because we represent God to them. And so, wherever I go, whatever I am doing, I need to remember that I am representing God to them. And you know what's in God's heart for people? God's heart is filled with love for people. In fact, God's heart is filled with love for everyone. I mean, everyone. Everyone. Even those people that drive us crazy. Even those people that are so difficult for us to get along with. God's heart is filled with love for them. And so guess what? If I am representing and honoring the family name, then my heart should be filled with love for them as well. For everyone. Every. Notice what Jesus says next in verse 46. He says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Jesus says, I want you to exceed expectations. I want you to go beyond what people in your world, in our world, would expect of you. Now, he'd already talked about this in a few verses earlier, beginning in verse 38. Jesus talks really in detail about exceeding expectations. He says this in verse 38, if we go back a few verses. He said, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That was the Old Testament law of exact retribution. That The idea that whatever you do to hurt me will be done exactly in the same way back to you as punishment. But here it is again. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus says, exceed expectations. Let mercy triumph over judgment in your life. Well, let me give you some specifics of what he's talking about here. Hey, he says, first of all, if somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. He's talking about in their culture there would be a custom that if someone took the, the back of their hand and slapped you on the cheek, that was an incredible insult. It would be like in our culture today, well, at least years ago, somebody giving you an obscene gesture. It would be a deep insult to you. Jesus says, you exceed expectations. And if somebody insults you like that, don't do what they expect, which what they expect is for you to strike back and try to insult them, right? Jesus says, you exceed expectations. You let mercy triumph over judgments. Don't respond. At least don't respond with unkindness. Then Jesus says, if somebody wants to sue you, now maybe your Bibles use the word, if they want to try to sue you for your tunic, A tunic would have been kind of an inner garment, sort of a pajama-like material. And most people would have had several pairs or several tunics. They had multiples of those. 
Jesus says, if they want to sue you for your tunic, your inner garment, you let them have your cloak or your coat. That cloak was an, as an outer garment. It was a, a piece of heavy material. And most people only had one of those. It actually was used by many of them to keep warm at night. Jesus says, if they sue you for your tunic, you give them your outer cloak as well. Now, you know what? That was changing the law because the law actually had said, until that time, man's law had said, you couldn't sue somebody for their outer cloak because it was too vital to their life. Jesus says, if somebody is that adversarial, is that against you, if they want to sue you for your tunic, you give them your outer cloak as well. Then Jesus says, if, if somebody ask you to go one mile, you go two miles. And Jesus was referring to a custom that the Roman guards had where they could press into service any Jewish citizen at any time. They could press them into service and force them to carry their their bags or their equipment or their weapons one mile. When they got to the end of one mile, Jewish citizen wasn't responsible to go any further. But Jesus says, the next time you get pressed into service by your enemy, the Romans, you don't just go one mile. You go the second mile. Can you imagine a, a young Jewish man being pressed into service and he, he walks that first mile with the Roman and the, gets to the end of the mile and the Roman guard says, oh, that's good, thanks. And the Jewish boy says, no, you know what? Let's go another mile. And as they walk that second mile, the Jewish young man says, so, so how are you today? How's your family? Do you have kids? Tell me about your kids. How's your family doing? Carries on a conversation, is interested in the Roman guard. And when he gets to the end of the mile, he says, well, I've got to get back home now. Thanks for letting me carry your stuff. And hands it back to the Roman guard. What kind of impression do you think would be on that Roman guard? What do you think he'd be thinking as he continued to make that journey? And how do you think that young man would feel having gone the extra mile? He'd walk away feeling good. Jesus says, I want you to exceed expectations. Let mercy triumph over judgment. Don't respond to people the way that most of our culture expects. You respond with kindness. Then verse 48 says one more thing. Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now the word for perfect here is not the idea necessarily of sinless perfection. That only God will ever be completely free of sin. Now, Jesus is not saying that it's a, a way for us to get out of not moving towards getting rid of sin in our lives. We are to be eliminating sin in our lives. We are to be moving closer and closer to living the kind of life that Jesus lived, a life without sin. But He's not talking about sinless perfection here. This word for perfect is more the idea of completeness or maturity. Jesus, I think, says we are never more like God than when we show kindness towards our enemies. We never demonstrate or we demonstrate a great sense of completeness or maturity in our walk with God. We show that we are growing in maturity as a follower of Jesus when we get to the point that we love our enemies, that we respond to people the way that Jesus responds to people. 